The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Good morning. Do we have any NFL fans out there? A few of you, you know that the draft was this weekend. You can kind of nerd out on all the college football and NFL football. Well, I don't know if you missed the largest story of the weekend over the NFL. Did you see that Peyton Manning is coming out of retirement to be the quarterback for the New England Patriots? Did you see that? You don't believe me. You're right. That's unbelievable, isn't it? You don't believe it for one second. It's not true. Well, we are in week two of our series called Unbelievable. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have started off with that. That just didn't work, did it? You don't believe it for a second. Well, the Bible asserts all kinds of things that are maybe just as unbelievable to you. The claim is very simple, although it's really hard to swallow some of these things that seem unbelievable. If we just lived out the truths of Scripture that are unbelievable to the world, it would change our lives. And so we need to understand what these things are that are so countercultural that we need to put them in our lives and live them out. So that's what we're doing through this series because this book is full of unbelievable truths to us. It's unbelievable that God loves us, that Jesus came to earth, that he died for our sins, that he defeated death, he rose from the dead. Those are unbelievable things, aren't they? When we started this series in Romans chapter 5, we're looking at chapter 6 today and 7 and 8. That's where this series is coming from. We're looking at the things that Paul is telling us that since we believe in the resurrection, what are those implications? And last week we looked at a truth that problems are actually good. That's unbelievable. We have a hard time wrapping our mind around it. Well, the one thing about all the things that I just mentioned that are unbelievable that we believe Those are things we want to believe. There are actually some truths in Scripture that are unbelievable, and maybe you don't really want to believe it because it's hard or because it says something about me or us that we don't really like. Well, how about this for an unbelievable truth? Romans 7. Just listen to this. Romans 7, 18. This is Paul speaking. He says, I know, I know, that nothing good lives in me. Nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. Paul is saying, nothing. At the core of who he is, his nature, nothing good there. Does that strike anyone else as a little unbelievable? Really, nothing? The person who has shared the name of Jesus with probably more people than anyone else? Paul? There's nothing good in his nature? Really? What does that say about me if there's nothing good about Paul? Because Paul's saying that about himself. Is that really true of you? Is that true of me? And why would that even be helpful for us to believe that there's nothing good about our nature? How would that be helpful to me? Well, those are good questions. Well, Paul wrote this letter to Christians. 
He wrote Romans to believers in Rome. And we've been hanging out here in Romans, but in chapter three, we didn't go over this, but Paul is not just talking about himself. He says this, no one is righteous, not even one of you. Not one, nobody. Romans 3.23, famous verse, it says, all have sinned, everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. That's Romans 3.23. He's talking about all of us. This isn't just about Paul. This is about you. This is about me. This is about our nature. And is there something that we need to believe that's a little bit unbelievable? And I would say it this way today, that you and I, we have an issue that we have to admit, that we are addicted to something. We're addicted to sin. That's the picture that Paul paints That's what he means by his nature, that his nature is drawn to sin, his sinful nature, that that's where he's going to go. Those are the things that he's going to think. Those are the things that he's going to do. He's going to have this bent towards sin, and he's compelled to do that. That's how there's nothing good in there. And so you and I, all of us, we are all addicts. That's even hard to say, to look out at you and say that. But that's what scripture is telling us. And that's so different than the picture that the world paints about us. You know, everyone's just, is really good. At least that's the picture that we hear in the world, that we're all really good. And maybe because we just missed the mark a little bit, we fall short of God's glorious standard by like a little bit. Paul is saying the opposite of that. He's saying, there is nothing good in me and like, I don't even come close to God's standard. He says he is an addict, essentially, to sin. And so that brings us to Romans 6, where we will walk through this chapter. So go to verse 1 with me. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning? Again, the assumption that Paul has is that people, you and I, we are going to keep on sinning. Why? Because that's who we are. We're sinners. We're, we're by nature and by choice, we're going to choose sin when left to ourselves because that's what we do. We keep on sinning. Thankfully, we're in the middle of Romans. That's not the only message that Paul has for us. Yes, we will keep on sinning, but he continues. He says, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And so that is a central question for anybody who loves Jesus who understands the things that Paul has explained in the first five chapters about how while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that we can have a relationship, we can have salvation if we trust in Jesus because Jesus paid the penalty that we deserve for all of that sinning that we do. And so we know that that's that's what is assumed here by Romans 6. And he's saying, okay, so if people believe that, that Jesus He pays the penalty for all this sin, and and I have this bent to keep sinning. Uh, Should should we just keep on doing that? I mean, I think we've, maybe all of us who have been Christians for any length of time, that's a thought that passes through your mind when you're faced with a choice. Well, Jesus forgives me, so should I keep on sinning? 
I mean, that's an honest thought I'm sure we've had in our mind. How do you wrestle with that tension? Paul has a very clear answer to that question. Should we? He says, of course not. (laughs) Of course not. You can't see this, but in Greek, it is the most emphatic way to say no that you could ever say. Some people have said, this is the closest that Paul gets to using profanity in scripture is in Romans 6, 2, that he gets really close. And this is way beyond your simple no. Like as a parent, you have lots of different no's, you know, with your kids. You know, the simple no, like, no, you can't have any more Easter candy right before bed. No, I'm pretty calm about that no because I've been asked that question a lot lately. No. And then there's your goodness, no, get off the counter, or like, heavens, no, drop that knife, son. Like, there's the two-word version of no, you know what I'm saying? And that's what Paul is, it's it's as strong as you get. This is the multiple word, no, that's all I got. No, no, no. That is where Paul is at here in verse two. No, of course not. Just because Jesus forgives us, and we have this nature And these desires that still live in us, even though we trust in Jesus, we are not to continue down that road to continue sinning. So the rest of this chapter is about Paul helping us with some strategies how to navigate that addiction in our life. How do we hold that? How do we think about that? Why would it be important to have this unbelievable truth that we are all addicts in front of us regularly, even though that seems, you know, sad and depressing and I want to avoid that ugly truth about me? Paul is going to tell us, no, they need to keep it out here and have some strategies or it will devour you. So let's keep reading. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died, we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. That's what Paul is saying. And there is a key thing we need to remember. He actually asked the question in verse 3, have you forgotten? So one of his keys here for us, a strategy, is to remember. We shouldn't forget something. So we need to remember something. And we need to remember what he explains here in these verses, that anybody who has been baptized, anybody who proclaims Jesus and says, I'm going to follow him with my life, you have a new identity. And in here, there's an explanation and some reasons why believers get baptized. That's why it's so important here at White River that we encourage people who say, I believe in Jesus. The first thing we say after that is, well, you should get baptized. Why? Because it's so important to your identity. That you are identifying with Jesus when you make that decision, when you do that thing. 
which we got to witness. And it's so beautiful to see that, yes, you are admitting in your baptism that you are a sinner, that you deserve to die like Jesus died. But because of Jesus, you identify with him in his resurrection as well. And that because he was raised, the power that raised Jesus will raise you and I someday. And that is a powerful, powerful truth that we need to remember constantly. Because Satan will go after you. He will use your sinful nature in the things that you do that will bring guilt and shame in your life, you will begin to tell yourself stories about who you are and what you deserve, and Satan will encourage that. A lot of the things that he encourages us to do in our world to participate in, have you noticed that it is about your identity? You are this sexuality. It's your identity. You are defined by this or that or this struggle that you have. You are defined by it. No. Have you forgotten? It's the first thing we need to remember is that I have an identity in Jesus. I need to remember that I have this issue in me, but my identity beats that every day. That is good news. And it's Satan's first tool in his tool belt. Satan has all kinds of tools on his belt. And he uses them. He kind of has the same ones that he uses over and over and over again. When he came to Jesus and tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he tempted him with pride, with power, with the lust of his flesh, his desires. But before any of that, he went here. He went to his identity. You maybe miss it. But if you know the story, in Matthew 4, 3, Satan tells Jesus the first words out of his mouth. He says, if you are the son of God, and you maybe even missed that, but he's going right after Jesus' identity. He's saying, if you're the son of God. He's trying to get Jesus to forget who he is, and he does the same thing to you and me. He tries to get us to forget who we are in Jesus, and we can't do that. Remember your identity. Paul has a lot more to say about this struggle that we have and tips to overcome it. Verse 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Jump up to verse 12. It says, Do not let sin control you the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. So just as if we're to remember here in verse six, we're to know something. Paul's saying you need to know. What do we need to know? We need to know how dangerous sin is. We need to keep that in front of us all the time. He's saying sin is something that you need to crucify. In other words, sin is something you need to kill every day because you have, it is power. He's saying it's powerful. You were bound by the power of sin. You have this addiction that is in you. You have to kill it. Verse 12, don't let it control you. And I know that sounds like bad news because this is written to Christians. Doesn't, if you believe in Jesus, shouldn't it just go away? Like, I want to honor Jesus with my life. He's saying, no, actually, you still have sinful desires. It shouldn't surprise you that you still have desires that 
that catch you off guard. You're like, why do I think that? Why do I want to look at that? Why do I say those things? What is it about me? Well, you have things in you that aren't good. They're not honoring God. Paul says there's nothing when you get down there if you take Jesus out of the picture. And that's true for you and I. You are not strange, but you should know something, that sin is not to be messed around with. It will enslave you, he says. It will kill you. So we have to kill it. It is dangerous. That's pretty strong language. See, it kind of reminds me, if you've ever seen the news stories or blurbs out there about police activity in Florida, have you ever Google searched, you know, Florida man studies headlines? Anyone done that? It's kind of interesting. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens in Florida. But there was one headline that came out one time. It said, Florida man killed by pet panther. And I don't want to make fun of this guy, but pet panther, like that should not go together. And it reminds me of this. You know, you can kind of envision, you know, some reporter going down there to his neighborhood and talking to the people that lived on, you know, his block. And it's like, you know, Whiskers, the panther, was his favorite pet. And he was just a good panther. You know, he was great. You know, for five years, he was just awesome. I don't know how this happened. It's crazy. Uh, It's a panther in your house. That's how Paul describes this. It will kill you. It doesn't matter if you think you have it under control for a thousand days, like this pet panther whiskers. I just made that up. But it will destroy you. It will tear you apart. It's not neutral. It's not small. It only grows. It only will destroy you and enslave you. And I know that language makes us a little uncomfortable. And Paul addresses it, you know, this concept of slavery in verse 19. He says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. So Paul says, I know some of you might struggle with that language, but it's the only thing he can think of that will connect with us, that it is actual slavery You are not free, even though you think you are free when you're making choices. And that's what's so twisted about sin. And if you're like me, when I make sinful choices and look back on my life, sometimes that's exactly what the world tells me, is you make that choice because you are free to do it. You should be able to do what you want. You should be able to do what feels good to you, you're free. That's a lie. That's a trick. That's a trap. It's actually enslaving you to a pattern of behavior, to series of decisions that are harder to get out of because you're in bondage to sin. And I don't know if you knew this, but even scripture itself paints sin um, in a way that we kind of experience. Because it's like, well, sometimes, isn't it have some kind of pleasure along with sin? And that's how it's described in Hebrews eleven twenty five. Maybe you've never heard this before. It says this, he, and it's talking about Moses, he chose to share in the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, God knows. This is his world. He knows how it works. He knows that sin at least has some fleeting pleasures or no one would do it. 
He's saying, yes, of course, there's fleeting pleasures. That's an important adjective there, that it's fleeting. And for most of the time, it's very fleeting, very short. But the consequences and the slavery are much longer lasting. And those are the tricks that Satan uses. And we have to know the danger. We have to remember our identity. We have to know how dangerous sin is. We have to remember that, yes, this unbelievable thing is true, that we have this bent, this addiction to go there even when we know it's not helpful, it's harmful, it's never worth it. It is hard. Even when you know all of those things and you know that Scripture teaches these things, maybe this isn't even new to you, but it is hard to admit I am an addict to sin. That's hard to say. That's why you need people in your life to share your struggles and the things that enslave you so that you can change. And Paul, and I think his most important strategy to navigate this addiction comes in the next couple of verses. Verse 13, he says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And Paul uses this language that even though these desires, they live in you, in God and his wisdom, we don't always know why he designed it this way, but he freed us from the penalty of sin Right now, we have this struggle because sin is powerful. But we have to, as he says in verse 13, give ourselves to something more powerful to overcome that. And that power is the power of God. The power of God in Jesus that rose Jesus from the dead. That is the only thing more powerful than our urges. You see, we are all addicts to sin, but God's power is greater. It is so much greater. We have to overcome that because that's not going away until we're totally free from the presence of sin. And that's only coming in heaven when sin is finally gone. Because as long as we live here where sin is and we have this flesh, we are going to struggle with that. But we need to find a greater power, and we have found it. Jesus finally came. That's why it's such good news, is he has shown us a new way that's more fulfilling and actually brings freedom under God's grace is the description. That's amazing. And I was reminded of that this week, how this actually works as I heard everyone mowing their yards and using their weed whackers and planting their gardens and putting down mulch and doing everything that you can. And, and I look out at my yard and, and I see dandelions. <laughs> you try to plant some vegetables or some flowers and make it nice and 
there's weeds. And if I go out there, and I did, and you take some time and you try to get rid of that, or maybe you use some chemicals or some other things, some good labor, and you get rid of all those dandelions and weeds, you know, I could stand back there for a week and it looks really good until next week when there's dandelions and weeds. Those things are evil. This is a perfect illustration for sin. (laughs) And so if I had this nice garden or this nice bed for flowers or vegetables or something and I got rid of all the weeds, I have to put something else in its place or weeds will just continue to grow. And even if I plant something good there, you know what's going to grow? Weeds and dandelions and stuff I don't want. You have to pay attention to it. And so I'm seeing that this week, and I'm like, this is kind of exactly what Paul is describing. You have to fight it constantly, but you have to replace it with something greater, something more powerful. We need a new master because the way of the world The way of our addiction that we have will destroy us. And I don't need to explain that to most of you because I am confident that so many of you know people who have been destroyed by addictions. I don't need to go off and list all the things as we talk about even that word addiction. Sometimes it just brings shame and how it's destroyed marriages and families in our society in so many ways. But there are more acceptable addictions that I think God wants us to kill. Isn't it obvious of the plague of discontentment, ungratefulness, pride, selfishness, self-control, just a lack of it, impatience, irritability, and irritability, anger, judgmentalism, Envy, failure to control our tongue, worldliness, ungodliness. We could go on and on, and I hope you see that we have some real problems, and the only solution is to give ourselves to something greater, and that is only Jesus. And he is a good master that we can trust our life to, and it's not exchanging slavery for slavery. He gives us freedom. And that is the good news. And that is why we love him and we serve him. And some other translations, that giving yourself over, it says offer. It's worshipful language that we offer ourselves to Jesus. And this isn't just something that's for pastors or missionaries and people who have given their full-time vocation to Jesus. This is something that you can do. No matter who you are, you can offer yourself to Jesus every day and that is the picture because when we offer ourselves to Jesus that's when he breaks the power of sin and he gives us something greater but that doesn't take it away because it's going to be here until that presence of sin is here until it's finally gone and that's again not until heaven that's not until this earth passes away and our life passes right now we're in this tension where we have to answer this question in Romans 6 over and over. Should I continue sinning? Grace is going to increase. No, no, no. It will destroy you. 
Do not believe that. Remember your identity. Know that danger and give yourself over to God. This is vital. This chapter, we need to know it and live it because this is something that we deal with every single day. Because when we encounter Christ and we encounter the true power of Jesus, it will change you. And that is that old idea of repentance. That is a rhythm. We talk a lot about rhythms here at White River. We have to have certain rhythms in our life as Christians to follow Jesus' ways, and that is one of them. Because I am an addict to sin, I must have the rhythm of repentance in my life. Because I'm going to sin, and so I have to turn. I have to. I have to. And if I don't ever do that, it makes me wonder, where is the power of Jesus? You see, I want you to think about leaving from here. And you go into the parking lot, you go to your car, and there's nothing. You're like, well, there go my lunch plans. I'm not going to make lunch today. I'm stuck here in the parking lot. But to your surprise, out comes from around the building this Big, raised up, F-250, man of a truck, here to rescue you in your little Honda Civic. (laughs) He pulls up, nose to nose, opens both hoods. Yep, it's dead. And you think, I already knew that. Um, I need some power, you're thinking. I need some power. This is the person that can do the job. This is great. God, you answered my prayer. Get out the jumper cables. And you are just confident, this is the power that I need. And you think, I'm going to test this power, right? And so you take the positive and the negative, and you go, I just want to feel the power. And you go, no, you don't do that. (laughs) Because you're not, you don't do that. Don't test the power in the parking lot, please. But if you did, (laughs) you would be changed, right? Your hair would be changed. Your life would be changed forever. Don't do that. But you would be changed. And so you hook it up, and it gives power. That is the image that we have in Romans 6. We died with Christ, and we're set free from the power of sin And since we died with Christ, we know that we will live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him because when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God so that you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus That is the power that you have. It is grace for you. You have that identity. You don't have to be ashamed, but we do have to remember and admit what we are at our core, and that is addicted to sin. If we ignore that, it will destroy us. But good news, Jesus did not come, he tells us in Luke 5, to call the righteous. Praise God. He only came to call those who he says, no, they are sinners. So even though this is maybe unbelievable, 
That every single person hearing this has to admit that you are an addict to sin. That is exactly what scripture says. And it is the key to living a life that follows and honors Jesus. It is the good news that we admit that first and then hook into that power and live new lives. Now I'm going to pray for you. But because in this series, we have been challenging you with things that are not how we normally think. We wanted to have a rhythm for this series to challenge you to sit and ponder and think and pray. And so we're going to give you a couple minutes to think through some of these prompts that we think come straight from this passage and this message. So let me pray for you and then take a few minutes and just think about what God is doing in your heart. And what are the things that he is asking you to turn from today? Let me pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the power of Jesus that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And may we just harness it today. Harness it to conquer that addiction that we have to sin. For each one of us sin in similar and different ways, God, but remind us that you are good, that you love us, that you died for us, and that you want us to conquer this addiction. You've given us your spirit and the tools to overcome it, Lord. God, we trust you with this in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.